0: That's not right, because when these people are released from prison, they're ultimately going back to these same impoverished communities where resources and funding is needed.
1: There is an important process underway in Michigan, the redistricting process to map and outline boundaries of political election districts.
2: The large distinction that I want to highlight is.
1: I'm going to be honest with you. It's a complicated, technical and pretty dry process.
2: The difference between subsection nine activities and subsection 14 activities.
1: But so stick with me here, because it comes with some real impact for folks like Daniel Jones.
0: Like a, a perfect example of how like resources and funding have, have been taken away from communities this is the current community that we're in right now.
1: Daniel was born in Detroit. He remembers his grandma cooking for his neighbors outside this was his city his home but the last time these maps were drawn using census data Daniel wasn't counted as a Detroiter the political power of his count in the census went to Ionia County more than a hundred miles away that's because Daniel was behind bars in prison in Ionia Daniel is part of a movement trying to change how incarcerated people are counted in the redistricting process because Ionia was never his home, and it's not where he voted when he got out. I'm Kerry Jr. II, second, and this is on the line. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I not know if this the right door or not. How you doing, sir? Pleasure to meet you. Where
0: are we? So yeah, right now we are in the dining room of um, first house that you know I've ever bought, um, and of course this was like a dream that I had while I was in prison. I had,
1: I had. Created Daniel purchased an abandoned home on Detroit's east side. He's been working on it, but it's got some ways to go. The wiring is exposed. There's no installation and the windows are boarded up. That's why you can still hear outside
0: Just like I already knew that when I came home. I wanted to get into real estate mm-hmm. I wanted to flip some houses and and when I came home, I pursued it
1: Daniel's vision for his life outside of prison was inspired by his time inside and the people he met along the way you
0: No, know, during my incarceration um you know, I, I've always had like, you know, guys who were like mentors to me. Um, it was an older guy who, you know, I guess he sensed my frustration, and it was like, you know, come with me, man. You should, you should attend this meeting. And, and you know, that organization is it's really just a, it's a social justice organization um, within prison that allow people in prison to. To organize and discuss social issues um, that ultimately affected not only them, but you know, the, the, the community in the free world. And that's ultimately like what helped me find my voice and be able to, to speak to issues that were um, important to me. And then when I came home, like I, I got involved with um, this organization called the Voting Access for All Coalition. Um, and it was through our efforts to you know ensure that people in county jails held pre-trial are aware that they had a right to vote and, and are able to exercise that right to vote um, that we became aware of the Michigan Independent
1: Citizens Redistricting Commission, how did you start following uh, the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission? That's a mouthful. Um, how did you start following it so closely in your reporting?
3: Yeah, it is a mouthful.
1: That's Claire Hendrickson, a report for America journalists working for the Detroit Free Press.
3: I kind of just raised my hand and started following the commission. And so it's been a pretty dramatic and fascinating process to just watch unfold.
1: Claire is one of two Free Press reporters we spoke with who have been following the redistricting process in Michigan closely and understand the ins and outs and implications of the process. And she helped break it down for us.
3: This process of redistricting happens every 10 years. I'm sure people remember getting calls and requests to fill out the census, which gets taken every 10 years. And that's the count of the population in the United States. And that helps determine the the distribution of federal resources, but it also informs how political districts are drawn. And those districts helped to shape the balance of political power in states and the country uh, for a decade. So it's a really important process. And in Michigan, this is the first time in the state's history that it is being carried out by an independent citizen-led commission of randomly selected voters who are in charge of this pretty monumental task.
1: Welcome to the MICRC public hearing in Jackson, the kickoff. It used to be lawmakers who created new maps for voting districts every 10 years, but voters back in 2018 decided that shouldn't be the case, that there was a conflict of interest with politicians choosing who got to vote for them, hence the commission. As fellow residents, the MICRC understands your expectations to draw maps in an open and transparent manner that meets constitutional mandates.
3: And the whole sort of premise behind the commission's creation was to bring an end to gerrymandering in the state.
2: The problem, I think, is that down in southeast Michigan, the maps are so gerrymandered, and I'm in one of those districts. And that
3: is the practice of drawing district maps to benefit a political party.
2: I haven't heard a single comment from anyone in southeast Michigan who thinks that the map should be, have anything done other than be thrown in the toilet and set on fire.
1: The 13 commissioners were picked at random from a pool of applicants. That includes... Four who affiliate as Democrats, five who affiliate as independents, and four who affiliate as Republicans through a lottery run by the Michigan Department of State. Now they're determining the political maps we'll use for the next decade. Maps that can swing elections one way or another. How has the redistricting process been going?
3: Sometimes it feels like an episode of Real World, like seven strangers <laughs> picked to live in a house together. But <laughs> it's been pretty interesting to see these folks just uh, try to try to figure out how to tackle this. You have folks who have never done this before, and they are learning how to do something that is incredibly complex, even for the professionals who have been doing this for years. They have all had to learn the mapping software um, that they've been using to draw the maps. They're looking at racial demographic data to make sure that they're complying with the Voting Rights Act. And then they have to make sure that whatever they draw is fair. It's sort of a challenging web of um, requirements that they have to navigate. And sometimes the requirements are not always pointing in the same direction. There can be Mm -hmm. tension and trade-offs between the requirements. So you kind of have to thread the needle.
1: They're also on a short timeline and set to blow past their November 1st deadline because census data they use came late due to issues including COVID-19.
3: I think there are times when the commissioners feel like they've made significant progress and they're headed in the right direction. And then there are other times when I think the sense of frustration is quite palpable.
1: Now, commissioners are definitely getting support. Map consultants, lawyers, and of course, public input.
3: They've done something that hasn't been done in redistricting in Michigan's history, which is travel across the state and get input from different communities. Uh, They have allowed members of the public to submit draft maps um, for their consideration, to comment on the maps that the commission has already drawn.
2: Especially because they have these public comment sections, it's a good chance for people to be speaking up about what their needs are in redistricting,
1: That's Free Press reporter, Miriam Marini. In partnership with Outlier Media in Detroit, Miriam recently helped the Free Press hone in on a particular aspect of the redistricting process. It's popped up from public input.
2: So essentially with this movement, it's people who, regardless of where they are in the state, they are affected by how inmates are being counted. So they are speaking up and wanting to change that practice in Michigan.
1: Advocates are calling for the commission to draw maps that account for where inmates are actually from, where the likely vote went out, not where they are while locked up and unable to cast a ballot. That's how they're currently treated in the redistricting process. That's a concept advocates call prison gerrymandering.
2: Prison gerrymandering is essentially the practice of counting inmates at their place of incarceration rather than their home address. So you'll have people who are taken from Washtenaw County and then they're taken to be held in like Ionia County. So this goes to then what they call artificially inflate the population of that district because these inmates can't vote as they're being incarcerated. So the district benefits off of that number and inflates their voting strength without necessarily having one person, one vote.
1: Keep in mind, when districts are being drawn, they need to have equal population numbers. So the inmate count shifts political influence to areas that would have less people if it wasn't for the incarcerated community.
3: When I was in Detroit at the public hearing that was held by the Michigan Redistricting Commission...
1: Good evening or
3: afternoon, whichever one it is. One of the first folks to provide public comment...
0: I'm here to speak on behalf of a community that basically really has no voice... Um, That community is the prison population.
3: Was someone who was urging the commission um, to end the practice of prison gerrymandering here in this state as they set out to draw new district lines?
0: What I am looking for on behalf of those that have no voice and cannot even vote is that you all make the decision to count them where they actually live.
3: And so that was when it really first came on my radar that this was an issue that folks in Michigan were going to pay attention to um, and urged the commission to address ahead of
2: this redistricting cycle. Advocacy has come from all levels. You have state legislators who have been speaking out. Um, you have actual advocacy groups. So there is the voting access for all coalition and it's essentially a group of a bunch of different organizations coming together to ensure that people have voting access, that voters are getting their rights. And you also have individual citizens who are also coming out and speaking out um, to the commission.
1: And that brings us back to Daniel Jones.
0: And yeah, I actually spoke at one of the MICRC's public hearings. um, The one they held and warned. I just utilized that two minutes to, of course, introduce myself um, and and share with them the story of, you know, how I was incarcerated and, you know, an officer passed out that census form. Um, and, And as I began to fill it out, you know, I heard someone yell out from inside of their cell, like, don't don't fill out that form.
1: We'll be back with Daniel and get into just how much this impacts Detroit, After the break.
4: Hi, my name is Phoebe Wall Howard, and I am an automotive reporter at the Detroit Free Press. This year we have covered an incredible range of stories, people, products, business trends, everything about cars and the people who design them as well as the people who buy them. Whether it's the Ford F-150 all-electric Lightning or the Mustang Mach-E, the hot little Maverick, or a profile on the chief engineer Linda Zhang who plans to transform the industry with her vision of electrification. We also do profiles of executives behind the scenes, how things come to be, and in the case of Ford Motor Company, why Oreo cookies played such a major role in the development of truck design. Many, many people reach out and ask, how can we support your work or how can we read more about this? And one of the easiest ways is to subscribe to the Detroit Free Press. We are the most reasonably priced in the whole country. For $1, you can receive six months of digital access for all of my work and that of my team on the autos coverage, as well as news, politics, education here at the Detroit Free Press. To learn more, head to freep.com backslash special offer. Thanks so much.
1: We're back with Daniel Jones. And I want to pause here and shift gears briefly because I think it's important to know where he's coming from. Daniel was born and raised on the east side of Detroit.
0: You know, my father was the the breadwinner and the provider. My mother was the, the homemaker. Um, you know, my grandmother was like big mama.
1: At the age of seven, that all started to change.
0: My parents separated. Hmm. Um, and then like my mother, my older brother and I like... We started, we moved and, and started living together, but because my father was the breadwinner, like now, you know, things done got kind of rough. So, you know, my mother's out looking for, for jobs. You know, I, I didn't have that, that supervision that I that I once had. And, you know, at that young of an age, I was exposed to a lot. My mother had met another man and when he moved into our lives, like, we later on found out, like, he was abusing drugs, like he was smoking crack. And then they'll fight because she's upset with him mm-hmm. using drugs and he's stealing um, to sell, you know, the microwave or the television for, for crack.
1: Daniel's home dynamic shifted, so he went searching outside his home for a family and found one.
0: I found that in who I thought was some guys that had my best interest, but, you know, they was already heavily involved in the streets. So it's like I'm I'm mad, I'm upset, and like all of this is bottled up in me. But because I'm a, I'm a child, I don't know how to articulate this. And that still manifested. Mm-hmm. I still lashed out. Yeah, I took a person's life during a robbery, and that's what I was ultimately sent to prison for.
1: Daniel, at age 16, was sentenced to life in prison for murder. He told us about the growth he had to do in there, the responsibility he had to take, how he corresponded with the victim's brother and learned he held no ill will against him.
0: I understood that I could create a different set of circumstances for myself, even though I was in prison serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Like I allow my imagination to project myself out here in the world. By just asking myself questions, like, if they were to let me out right now, what would I do?
1: He wasn't supposed to get out. But the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 2016 that juveniles sentenced to life without parole deserved a shot at freedom. He was paroled in 2019, released from parole 2021. And now he says he's fixing up his house, working, and working to better his community.
0: You know, I definitely you know, grew up around like, not too far from here, um, and, and, like, definitely, like, help destroy as a, as a youth. Um, so, you know, again, like, this still being, like, my, part of my, my path to atonement, I guess, is, like, I do want to help rebuild a community that I helped destroy.
1: One thing he says will help communities like his is ending prison gerrymandering. And he first learned about it while still inside.
0: When I was incarcerated at the the Michigan Reformatory in in Ionia, and and I remember an officer coming down the cell block and and passed out a census form to everybody. Um, So, you know, I I reached and and I grabbed it, and and I'm looking at it, um, and, and as I began to fill it out, you know, I heard someone yell out from inside of their cell, like, Don't don't fill out that form. Like they trying to count us as residents here in Ionia. Um, So I tore it up and I flushed it down the toilet. Um, And that was the first time I encountered prison gerrymandering.
2: And he's someone who is serves as like a perfect example in terms of someone who's from Detroit, but then was taken all the way up to Ionia County.
1: Miriam Marini for the Free Press again.
2: So, essentially, Wayne County is the place that advocates look at as an example for the impact that prison gerrymandering has, because when you look at the state's prison population, it accounts for about a third of the state's prison population. But then when you look at how much Wayne County accounts for the entire state, it maybe makes up 18% of the state, and it only holds the Detroit Detention Center, which doesn't even hold inmates for more than 72 hours so it's a good example of people who are taken out of the county but then you're not getting that number back in terms of having your own inmates at the county because you do have wider and more rural counties benefiting off of the populations of more urban and diverse areas like how Danny was taken from Detroit and taken to Ionia which is majority white.
0: Now now they just conflated their population count, which puts them in a new district. And that's, that's erroneous. That's misleading. Um, And that's not right. Because when these people are released from prison, they're ultimately going back to these same impoverished communities where
1: resources and funding is needed. It's almost like an invisible person, right? Like there's a person whose value in some ways is, is, injected into the county, but they don't ever have to see, speak, or acknowledge their existence.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Michigan isn't alone in this either when it comes to redistricting, but a number of other states have used legislation or their redistricting commission to count inmates at the location of their address before incarceration. Michigan isn't doing that.
2: The commission has already said to the press, to to advocates, that it's going to be following census procedures. So They've already said that this probably isn't a possibility in Michigan.
1: The commission has said because neither the state nor federal government has acted to change how inmates are counted, they won't do so. But advocates say they can and should.
0: So Yeah, I, you know, I stress that and, you know, in hopes of the, the commission doing what was in their authority to end prison gerrymandering, because, again, like I was I was under the impression that they would be able to do that based on what other states had done through their redistricting commissions.
2: There have been analyses, there have been state legislators who have come out to say that the commission has not only the authority to do it, but the responsibility to do it.
1: There's also an avenue already available through the census to figure out this count differently. It's the geocoding system that shows what census blocks inmates are from. What are state legislators saying?
2: One of the people that come off the top of my head is um, Senator Jeff Irwin from Washtenaw County, and he's been very vocal about the impact of prison gerrymandering on Twitter throughout this whole process. Senate Bill 151 from Senator Santana, you have House Bill uh, 4276 from Representative Sarah Anthony, and both of them are essentially trying to put an end to prison gerrymandering by requiring the Department of Corrections to report the pre-incarceration address of inmates to the commission for these population counts. And both haven't made much progress.
1: So it's an uphill battle.
0: It's disturbing, you know, to say the least. Wicked practices can be identified and, and studied. A practice such as that, like, is 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 well known um, so of course we'll just continue to fight like even even if the the, the commission decides that is something that's out of their hands uh, we still will seek to you know get past the the current house bill and Senate bill that's in place that will ultimately do away with um, the practice of, of prison gerrymandering
1: so where do we go from here and what are these maps going to look like
3: The commissioners have acknowledged that, obviously, they can't keep every single community intact that wants to stay together. They're not going to make everyone happy.
1: Reporter Clara Hendrickson again.
3: It's probably too early to tell or make any sort of determination about whether this is what folks thought they would get when they voted for this constitutional amendment. At the end of December, they're supposed to adopt them, and those will be the final maps. Maybe. There could be litigation and they could be ordered to make changes. So it's sort of hard to know when all of this is going to wrap up and who's going to benefit in the end, if anyone, and who's going to be happy.
1: And for incarcerated people being released, that may not come this round.
2: Because redistricting happens every decade, if it doesn't happen now, then you're going to have to wait for another 10 years for this to happen.
1: Daniel knows what it is to wait. And
0: don't, don't limit... Your conversation and your your knowledge to what's right here in front of you,
1: and that's for anyone, or I
0: think I think that's for anyone. Like if if you cannot see beyond your current circumstances, you will you are a prisoner, and, and you're gonna remain in that state until you can begin to see something other than what it is that you're currently experiencing. Hmm. If you if you have no vision for something more than what it is you're going through, then you're gonna continue in that setting. And is that kind of what motivates you to keep pushing for definitely, mm-hmm. like more legislation? Um, because it's it's always ways to improve
1: on our current conditions. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Tad Davis and Adrian Roberts. i Delgado and Miriam streaming are our executive producers, and Peter Batia is our editor. A special thanks to Outlier Media for their partnership on this story and the PolitiFact and Report for America who support Claire Hendrickson's work at the Free Press. Check out our show notes for more on how to take part in the redistricting commission conversation the music for the show is called For Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lostboy. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, leave a comment, and don't forget to share the podcast. We really appreciate it. See you next week.